This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of every best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making our truth journey a reality. Please subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to all segments of tonight's interview and all of our material. And for MMS, our futuristic metal-cased USB drives with all our seasons and bonus material, and now phytovitamins. Feel the difference. Visit the Veritas store. And also, don't forget to visit our sponsors page. And to get in touch with us for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower. There's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, get ready for the telescreen, an empirical and philosophical study of the destruction of consciousness. Our special guest is Jeffrey Grupp, right now on Veritas. Jeffrey Grupp is an adjunct lecturer at Purdue University. He's a PhD candidate in philosophy at Purdue with an MA in philosophy from Western Michigan University and a BA in anthropology from the University of New Mexico. His professional research specializations are Buddhism, quantum physics, and economic and political issues in philosophy. Grubb has published a dozen articles in top philosophy journals on quantum physics, Buddhism, and attacks on metaphysics. 
He is the originator of the Mariological Nihilist Interpretation of Quantum Mechanics, which is a new interpretation of quantum physics meant to replace the largely metaphysical ones offered by Feynman and other physicists. Corporatism is his first publication on economic, anthropological, and political philosophical issues. He is also the author of The Telescreen and Telementation. You can learn more about Jeffrey Grubb and his work by visiting his website at www.simulationtheory.net. And directly from South Ann Arbor, Michigan, I would like to welcome Jeffrey Grubb to Veritas. Hello, Jeffrey, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Great, great. Uh, glad to be on the radio show. This is the first radio show I've done in about uh, three years, so this is uh, <laughs> nice to be back on the air. Good practice for you. And by the way, that was a difficult bio to to uh, to read. Not not because it was difficult, but because the mixture of modalities that you focus on. I mean, metaphysics and also economics. How did you get involved with with the, these different parallels? Uh, I'm an inf whether it's good or bad. I don't know, but I'm an information freak. Uh, I I absorb. I guess that's. Uh, quality of people that are That's born me. on the 11th of uh, a month, uh, other days as well, but uh, 11s are often like that. And uh, for some reason, it just gives me great satisfaction, and I have many different interests. If something doesn't interest me, I don't acquire any information on it and, and can't even uh, have enough concentration to uh, learn anything about it. But uh, I just have a lot of passion for learning about a lot of things, and uh, for better or for worse, uh, that's what's uh, brought me to this point in my life, being a uh, philosophy professor and conspiracy theorist and uh, and so forth. This book, The Telescreen, when I saw it, I thought I need to get a hold, a hold of uh, a Jeff because whenever I look at the TV, I know it is more than an information tool. It is a programming tool. What motivated you to write this book, The Telescreen? <laughs> Probably anger. <laughs> um, well, it's just amazing. People are unaware completely of how their consciousness is shaped in this country um, or world. And people don't pay attention to to little details or really even big details of how, you know, a couple of years ago there was some anti-war sentiment. This is an example on the 2004-2005 time frame with uh, was it Cindy Sheehan, I think her name was. And quickly she was vanished or, or banished from the uh, mass media and uh, all anti-war sentiment quickly went away. So in other words, the point is, is when Cindy Sheehan, I think that's her name, if I remember correctly, showed up, a bunch of anti-war sentiment just covered the country all of a sudden. And But as soon as she was removed from the mass media, to my knowledge, and trying to pay very close attention to this, and people's thoughts and um, beliefs and behaviors with respect to war, all the anti-war sentiment vanished. So the point is, I could give a thousand other examples, the mass media controls people's the shape of their consciousnesses. If you, if you mention this to the average person, they'll say, oh, no, that's crazy. No way. I'm, I am free will and blah, blah, blah. But uh, And if you point out specific examples, uh, even ones that are just immediate, not one from seven years ago or whatever, uh, of how, you know, if there's a school shooting uh, and then everybody else all of a sudden in a frenzy over the fear of guns and the fear of everything, uh, people will have a hard time believing that their consciousness is so radically shaped by this uh, corporatistic, uh, mega system called the mass media, uh, trillion dollar industry. And uh, people think the information is random and they don't notice when there's these very sharp themes that uh, show up all throughout the mass media from 
uh, NPR to Fox News. For example, the Iraq theme entered the mass media in the early 90s. And it was always one uh, theme. Iraq is a threat, and we need to take care of that threat somewhere or another. NPR said that. Fox News, when it, came, when it was invented later in the 90s, said that. MSN, CNN, everybody in the, in the mass media said that. And everybody just went along with it. And if you ask someone, you know, and we, you know, we went into those various wars with Iraq. And if you ask someone, uh, you know, why did we go to, into those wars, they'll just simply repeat to you a sentence they heard on TV. Oh, because the terrorists hate our freedom or something stupid like that. Um, they're not thinking about this. They're just simply repeating. And there came a time in, you know, 08, 09, 2010, where I would ask people, why are we over in Iraq? And people would almost say, I don't even know, actually, because they would forget some of the cues that they were told on the mass media from the earlier in the 2000s. And then later on, they they just wouldn't have any reason. They would say things like, well, it's, you know, we have to support the troops. That's the big, huge thing in the mass media right now, support the troops, support the troops. And, uh, you know, if you ask the person, is it good to support troops that are uh, leading to so many civilian deaths over there, or, or citizen, you know, uh, non-soldier deaths over there? And, you know, people will get mad at you if you ask that question, because it doesn't go along with this uh, uh, mega system of information that we live in. And for some reason, people want to obey this system, even though it makes no sense, this mass media system that we live in. The mass media is the information source of people in the world. It is the shaper of consciousness in the world. I mean, the average person thinks the world they live in is normal, and it's, there's really no other way things can be. It's just kind of how it is. And then you show them a, a book or video about uh, hunter-gatherers living off the land in uh, Borneo or something, and people are shocked that some, it can be such an incredibly radically different way of living. And then they'll just forget about it, you know, five minutes later and go back to believing that uh, our way of life here in capitalist, corporatist, communistic uh, North America makes a lot of sense. And the truth is it doesn't. It's a, uh, like Frederick Douglass said, America was founded on unbelievable baths of blood, to paraphrase. And uh, this this country is a warmongering country. And I guess everybody's okay with that. I made one comment last year in teaching at the University of Michigan branch campus where I teach. And uh, it was. It wasn't even really an anti-war comment. It was just a comment that wasn't, I guess, reverent enough. And I had a student that was a soldier freak out in the classroom. Made a. He, I got. He spread a false story about me on Facebook. I had 25 death threats on my office phone the next morning. The university police had to be involved. It was a huge. Just because of one little comment, I started thinking to myself, people are just. They really like all this war stuff. And it, it, but does a person actually really like war? Does a person like to be drafted or go over? You know, does a young man <clears throat> or woman who's in their early 20s like to give up all their dreams and passions and go live in a desert with in sweltering heat with horrible food and uh, bat poor conditions and you know put their life at risk? Of course not. But people will do it. Why? And so you have to ask, why will they? Answer this telescreen world we live in. I mean, we you know, we think of the telescreen. That that word comes from Orwell's book. Uh, 1984, just one of the most incredible books I've ever read. And they had those screens all over the place um, in that uh, semi-fictitious world in the book 1984. And, you know, the screens would talk back and they would give everybody information. They would shape everybody's consciousnesses because that's basically the information source for everybody. 
And that's exactly what's going on here. And some people say, oh, no, there's just, you know, some TV, and you can choose what you want to watch, and so it's not really a telescreen world. And that's false. Everybody's carrying around these phones, and they get all their information constantly fed into them now more than ever. And all the, the information in the, you know, the 900 TV channels and the uh, all the different uh, AM talk radio, Rush Windbag and everybody else, those are uh, all in agreement with each other. In general, whether it's church or CNN, or Rush Windbag, or whatever, everybody agrees that, oh, we should be afraid of the terrorists. Oh, uh, support the troops. Oh, I guess war, we're just going to put up with it, even though it doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, we, there is not really a diversity. There's just a huge telescreen nation. Even the Internet seems to be, uh, you know, you'll do searches these days, and the same sites show up every time, it seems like. You know, if I do an alternative medicine search, you know, let's look for a cure for poison ivy or something. Just to give an example, the same websites show up. You know, the uh, Lance Armstrong site is always right on there. It's one of the first sites. And, you know, and there's really maybe a couple sentences of you know, junk information, if that. And uh, it's just uh, – but, I, and, you know, the thing is, is, I guess what's got me frustrated is I guess everybody's just kind of okay with this. Um, you know, we're okay with – everybody knows that George Bush lied through his teeth about uh, even though George Bush is you know we, we all know he's a small player in this big mega corporatistic global financial system that he's just a little minor actor slash player but um everybody knows he's lied through his teeth about that and it was all just a big money or some kind of corrupt mess but i guess everybody's just okay with just forgetting that yeah it's okay we'll just uh do another war now we'll listen to the same sa- statements about iraq now we're supposed to believe they're a threat you know, all the same things we were told. The UN's investigating Iraq back in the day, and there's a big threat, and, but no evidence is produced. Same thing going on with Iran now, but it doesn't matter. Everybody just goes along with that. And uh, and then what's this thing about it here? Oh, war is good for the economy, really? Because we were in a war for we were in a war in the early 90s, and then uh, the economy didn't uh, uh, kickstart really until many years later. And then we were in a war for from 2003, the second wing of this bogus Iraq war, from oh, what was it, oh three to supposedly you know it ended a year or so ago. But the economy started kicking in after that, and it didn't. There was what eight years or so where the economy didn't do anything but actually go down. But yet all the economics professors around the world will line up and say uh, to their students, "War is good for the economy." Just an unbelievably weak correlation. So anyway, my point is is information shapes uh, our consciousnesses. And consciousness is what people are. Uh, it's, we're not a body. We're not a, uh, a bunch of flesh. What we are, if you take my consciousness and put it onto a computer, uh, I'll still think that I'm the same person. I'm the same me. But if you take my consciousness and destroy it, and there's just a body sitting in there, that's, I will say, well, I'm, I no longer exist. So I mean, the point is, is that he, what humans are is consciousness. And the word information, as I say in the first page of the book, the telescreen that I wrote a number of years ago, is, you know, the information is kind of an interesting word. It's two words, inward formation. And that, there's no joke about that. You put something on the news that makes everybody scared, and the next day, everybody's scared. It's a real simple equation, but everybody has a hard time, for some reason, believing that their consciousness and their minds and their feelings are being shaped by the mega media system. Just just very bizarre. I guess everybody's comfortable with this, and this... uh, uh, crazy um, scenario we're um, 
we're living in. Is this, what Absolutely. Do you think? Absolutely. And I love your comment about uh, Raj Winback. Anyway. <laughs> I got that from, uh, I forgot, somebody else said that. <laughs> I like that. But what was the comment that you made uh, while giving that your lecture that caused the uh, the the eliciting? Oh, the, yeah. Yeah. What, what, we what were, uh, yeah. We were talking about the, it was just introduction to philosophy. Uh, and I was talking about the different philosophies of mind that week, you know, eliminativism and dualism and uh, para, uh, parallelism and so forth. And we were talking about dualism, the idea that consciousness is non-physical. So you really, your brain is kind of irrelevant. Your body is kind of irrelevant because what you are as a person, your mind, is a non-physical thing that's riding along or is somehow linked up to the physical brain. And I made a comment. I said, so if you die, if you get hit by a train... Uh, I was trying to, you know, sometimes I'll try to make things, you know, a little bit funny, at least for students. Um, and, I, and then I said, if you get hit by a train or if you get blown up by a bomb in a war, you, uh, it doesn't matter because you, you will live on. You will not die because your body dies, only not your consciousness, which is we were talking about as being yourself. And this student freaks out and said so he actually made up this story. I, luckily, I was recording my lecture, which I always do. I record all my lectures because if something good shows up, I want to throw it on YouTube or something. And I just played the recording. And I gave the lecture to the university, and that cleared the issue. But he spread a whole this story about <clears throat> how he said I was laughing about the troops. I thought it was. I was saying it was funny that they were dying. All this, I, I was thinking, where, what is the deal here? <laughs> this guy was just filled filled with such fury that he wanted to make up a story, which he knew I recorded my lecture, so I didn't understand why. Uh, you know what if he maybe he forgot that or something but uh the issue was settled on my end the next day but uh with respect to him i think he was uh removed from the school as far as i know so because it was a huge huge the police and media and everything was involved so it was uh it, it just got me thinking and you know another thing that was uh, interesting there mel is that um what happened was is in the evening it was the evening after this event happened i started getting calls at my home I don't know, I have any idea how these people got my phone call because I was in the process of moving and so forth. But anyways, um, and these were very threatening calls. And uh, But a lot of people were saying things as follows. They were saying, you know, we veterans are everywhere. And if you make fun of us, we'll find you. We'll, you can't escape us. We're all over the place and we're all brothers. And I got to thinking, that is unbelievable. This is like some kind of a gang. They don't even know what they're talking about. They have no information. It can be so incredibly easily proven wrong, but they all just believe it right away and act like this crazy lynch mob, which is I thought was kind of a little different from some sort of a gang or, or crazy out of control mob. And they were ready to. They, they I got some pretty uh, pretty serious threats. A couple of them were were bona fide death threats. The university got involved right away because it was so serious. And uh, I just thought it was amazing how. See, that's what it is. People operate on, I mean, emotion is great. We all like emotion and, you know, it can lead to spiritual uh, feelings and so forth. But the average person is so incredibly stirred by non-logic is a good way to put it. And that comes from uh, living a life of being pushed and pulled through your emotions at every moment in front of the telescreen. If you watch, you you can be watching a football game. One minute you're cheering like crazy. Yeah, my team's unbelievable. And the next minute I'm, you know, down in the dumps because they fumbled. And then the next minute I'm watching a commercial, it's really, you know, one of those, uh, you know, really artistic commercials, and it really takes my passion away. And then the next commercial is some crazy action movie, and you're on the edge of your seat during the commercial. I mean, this isn't normal. How pe- this isn't how people are supposed to operate with these crazy, uh, non-logical, 
uh, careless emotional shifts up and down from moment to moment. But we get people are we become sort of addicted to this and raptured by it. Addict, addict, I use literally. If you take if you remove something from a person and they have withdrawal pains, you can roughly call that some kind of addiction. And that's what would, if you remove the telescreens from everybody, these phones and TVs and everything, uh, you're going to get a, people not knowing what in the world to do <laughs> all of a sudden, and it's going to have a whole lot of pain. So yeah, I just I just find it. You know, am I, I? I mean, I mean, very. I mean, in the world of conspiracy radio, which I've been involved in a lot through the last uh, ten years. Um, you know, I meet a lot of people with saying the same things as me. Like, what is going on? Is everybody just drunk or something, or, or they've lost their soul or something? But that's what I walk around saying. Am I the only one who's fed up with all this? I mean, I watch the news, and it's just obvious. It's just kind of some sort of a joke. You know, then the number one conspiracy theorist, Alex Jones, he gets all his information from those sources. He, we listen to his radio show, and he says, oh, CNN says this, and MSNBC says that, and Associated Press says this. And I'm thinking, are you kidding? This, this is the problem, is this mass media system. And then we have our number one conspiracy theorist who, who uses that as a primary information source. And, you know, it's no wonder that, you know, a conspiracy theorist like Alex Jones is uh, not a very good information source because he he's sort of, well, let me put it this way, he, he's sort of the, uh, what I used to call, I think, the uh, soft conspiracy theorist. He thinks that, uh, you know, maybe who's ever behind all this, the top of the pyramid is, you know, some bankers or something. You know, there's a lot of different theories out there. Who's at the top of the pyramid? You know, let's just define conspiracy theory. Conspiracy theory is the idea that there is some sort of secret group that controls the governments of the world. Okay, and uh, there's obviously enormous evidence for this. You don't need to, we don't need to have a big debate and fight. And is this really true? Is there some group? I mean, all you have to do is look at the nature of the financial structure of the world, the nature of the media structure, and all these things are clear. Yeah, they're clearly all operated by very powerful groups that are being what where anybody can see. For example, the CIA, as I talk about, about in my book, Corporatism, they advertise themselves as the CIA. C-N-I-A. That A looks like a pyramid, the C-N-I pyramid. So they're telling you who they are. And they also at the same time tell you that they're completely secret. And they'll also tell you that they're engaged in horrific terrorist-like events, you know, with these crazy Abu Ghraib prisons and so forth. And uh, But anyway, it's... Um, you know, so there's no real. I mean, they'll tell you that they're secret. They'll tell you that information is classified. They'll tell you that there's a certain level where you can't see anything anymore. They'll tell you that we can't know what's going on inside the Fed, and that we can't know a lot about what's going on in the financial structure, which controls people's behavior down to moment-to-moment activities in many cases. So there's not. We don't need a lot of debate to think that there's. And I mean, you look at 9/11. I mean, whenever you know, if you have a the Pentagon which the first shots of in the first 20 minutes, you don't even see a, uh, any wreckage of a plane. There's not even really a hole in the wall. There's a fire burning inside the building, and wall, windows aren't even broken on the outside. I mean, we don't need to sit here and have a huge fight to think about, is there something strange going on or not? You know, we don't need a Noam Chomsky to come along and tell us, oh, there's a lot of coincidences, but there's just nothing that really uh, leads to any sort of question, you know, proof that there's a uh, conspiracy here. That's just, people are just playing games. People have their, own, have their agendas. They want to uh, believe, and I guess the conspiracy agenda makes people too afraid. They don't want to believe it. And But anyway, back to the Alex Jones comment. The reason I call him a 
soft conspiracy theorists is because he, you know, there's various ideas of who's at the top of the pyramid here. Is you know, a lot. Some people will say it's reptiles, and some people say it's aliens, and some people say it's demons, and some people say it's bankers. There's some group, but you know, some people say it's uh, what is it? Um, Zionists. There's another one that's thrown out a lot. Nobody really knows, and I don't know if that's a big problem. Conspiracy theorists spend way too much time fighting about who that group is. When really, I don't think a whole lot of people have the proper proof needed to know which group it is. We just know there is some group there. But the the issue with Alex Jones is, or that sort of soft, you can't really be a soft conspiracy theorist. That's one where you basically hold all the same ideas as the mass media, except maybe a couple others like, oh, 9-11 was an inside job and vaccines are bad. And, you know, blah, you know, maybe there's, say, 10 or 20 ideas you have that disagree with the mass media. But in general, everything else you agree with and you look to the mass media as your main information source. That doesn't work because that will lead to false information. Why? Go, let's go back to 9-11. 9-11 was an extraordinary issue. Let's just, let's just accept as axiomatic that it was the story we were given on the news was false. Okay, and where, where, how do we know that? Because the, when you look at the, what they said on the news, it was filled with contradictions. Okay, you, you can't have a plane hitting a building when there was no plane and no evidence and blah, blah, blah. So we can just leave that at that. Now, the point which has really got me interested lately is that we, you, we've never had a person... Uh, in the high levels, you know, a Rumsfeld, you know, high, say the higher levels of the visible uh, levels of government, not into the secret uh, invisible levels of government. We've never had one of those, a George Bush, a Rumsfeld, a Clinton, you know, one of the Clintons, or, or you know, Ahmad Deniji. We've never had any of these government leaders come out and say, okay, I can't take it anymore that we killed all these people. And I just have to confess what's going on. I don't care if they kill me. Here's what the deal is. That's how people normally would act. I, I was just reading a stat uh, a couple weeks ago in an anthropology book of how 3% of cheating men will confess to their wives. They can't take it for some reason, or there's some reason that they'll confess. I'm thinking, yeah, that makes sense. There's always a small percentage of persons who commit a crime or do something wrong that will come forth and admit it. Now, the thing that's interesting is in this uh, corporatistic New World Order system that we live in, that never happens. In in uh, hundreds of years of this system existing, you've never had an Abraham Lincoln or somebody finally come along and say, hey, you know what? I don't care if they kill me in five minutes. I just want to tell you what's really going on, and here's the story. That, this, that doesn't, you, you have these sort of anonymous people you know, on radio shows or something. You'll hear someone say, yeah, I used to work for this How strange about operation. Didn't Kennedy try? Um, by his comments about the Fed. Comments about the Fed, talking about secret societies and all that. Yeah, maybe that. Do you think you think that's an exception? I would say that's, so. I would say so. And he paid the ultimate. Yeah, price. he was killed them right after. Right. Yeah, maybe that's there. So there's one, but the the point is is that you've got in all this time almost nobody of that level giving us the real story, just because they they're feeling guilty or out of of sorts with all this murder and this incredible atrocity, basically ruining the human race in so many ways. The point is, is that means that this is some kind of, the conclusion here is that this is some kind of radically different government system that actually rules the world than really any of us can imagine. Because that's just not how people normally react. I mean, that's, that's good that you think of Kennedy as one example. Let's say we can think of 10 more examples from over the last 100 years. The point is, is that's really unusual. That's, that's all it'd be. When it's such a big deal, when you've got 9-11 happening and people crying in the streets in Washington, D.C. over their lost you know, husbands and blah, blah, blah. That you don't have um, some leaders coming forth and saying, "Okay, I can't take this anymore." It just makes me think that there's something huge going on. There's some sort of very 
uh, elaborate system that's in place, been in place for thousands, maybe millions of years. And therefore, uh, how, how far does this go? I mean, it, it has, we have to assume it can't just be a bunch of ordinary uh, people just like me and you that just kind of got greedy and wanted money and then they turned into these savage killers that have, you know, fabricate war and fabricate, uh, uh, you know, illnesses and, and so forth. It has to be something uh, really sort of dark going on. That's my uh, sort of um, uh, opinion on this, but I think there is, uh, the evidence sort of points to something like this. It have to be worked out in more sophisticated detail. But it means that conspiracy theory has to be taken as an extreme. It can't be taken as a soft thing where just ordinary people like me and you just turn bad because we got a lot of money because we became bankers or something. No, when you have a global system which is so incredibly well-structured, where you've got you know a, a Fox News, or sorry, a Rupert Murdoch's organization, owner of Fox News, where they carefully construct media on one side of the world that says something bad about country A. And then where country A is on the other side of the world, they constructs media to say bad things about country, the first one I mentioned, uh, which ultimately can lead to war or something close to it. But nobody points this out in our in our mass media system. And, and uh, somehow, if it is pointed out, people uh, will resist it and, and get angry and say, no, it's not true. That's just crazy conspiracy stuff. It just tells me there's something really large going on. And if you go into this further and start just looking into things such as the uh, story of history that we're told or many of the stories that science is giving us and so forth, if you go and look for the evidence on many of these things, it simply isn't there. And you wonder, how can you have all these thousands and thousands and thousands of college students and thousands and thousands of college professors talking about all these stories of history? Nobody wants the evidence of this, these crazy stories of history that were given. I, I guess, and if you, go and, if you go to a history professor or sit in a history class and say, hey, can you give me the evidence for this? I want the archaeological evidence for these points that you're bringing up about how we know these dates line up and these events line up and they even happened and, and this is what all the history that led to me being right here at this moment. Nobody can do it, first of all. The evidence isn't there, second of all. And third, people will get mad at you for even presenting the idea, how dare you challenge this worldview that the mega system, the corporatistic New World Order system that we all live in, uh, gave me. I don't want those ideas challenged. Those are the right ideas, and I feel most comfortable believing them. It's just I can't believe that. Uh, it's just baffling that in this mysterious existence we as humans uh, live in that state. But how do you do it? You're part of academia in a sense, and you probably stick out like a sore thumb <laughs> yeah. in comparison to your peers. I have in the past at a few times, and I've had to really work. I mean, I live. I don't live in the forest, unfortunately. Well, I kind of do, but I mean, I don't. I don't live like Little House on the Prairie or an Indian or something, so I depend, like everybody else, on this uh, corporatistic New World Order system we live in for my survival uh, needs. Food, water, uh, how you know housing, I guess, and, and so forth. Uh, so, I mean, I need a paycheck, unfortunately. So, I do have had to, uh, rather than uh, um, you know get out there and fight for you know try to really enlighten minds, I've uh, had to basically shy away from that because uh, if you do that in any way in a university, you know, you're not going to last for more than a second because. Uh, the university will not be believe this to be uh, real information. If you say something in a university, say, hey, 
how come on 9-11 there was that third building that fell that nobody discussed much? And how come there was, you know, there wasn't even one of the windows broken at the Pentagon? Can we, can we just talk about these issues? Can we debate these issues? And the answer in the university setting I've gotten is no way. You, you cannot. And that just tells me that the university system is going right along with this uh, uh, mass uh, information download of brainwashing or whatever you want to call it, uh, like everybody else. Uh, and uh, so, but to answer your question, I, when I, I just am completely non-political when I teach. I teach uh, non-political classes anyways, like logic and introduction of philosophy and, and uh, philosophy of science and so forth. And uh, I just steer clear of all these issues. And because uh, uh, if I didn't and I tried to uh, bring up some of these issues in class, I don't think it would matter anyways because the average student is not going to say, hey, this is good information. Look, he's presenting empirical evidence I can see with my own eyes that will verify all this stuff. I think that I'm going to change my mind on what I previously thought. That's just the, I, my opinion is, is from discussing a lot of conspiratorial issues with people through the years that that's just not how people operate. And uh, they will instead lash out at you and just call you names. And if you say, okay, fine, call me all the names you want, but look, look at this piece of evidence right here. What do you say about that if I'm, if, if I'm wrong in uh, advocating a conspiratorial worldview? And they just won't go there because they want to uphold their uh, existing views. So the college classroom is, you know, it wouldn't matter if I I did try to bring a more empirical view uh, into it with uh, having some spiritual views announced because I wouldn't work. It doesn't, does not fit into, I mean, we really live in a culture that is just, if you sit back and think about it, it is amazingly streamlined. People's behaviors are all very similar. Uh and I, I, know, I know we're all told that we're unique and blah, blah, blah. But from my perspective, people are incredibly similar. I mean, you've got the certain class of rebels, you know, the Harley riders and the punk rockers and the heavy metal people. And there's maybe, maybe you can think of five other groups or something, but that's it. Why is there no new group of rebellion that, or so-called rebellion that emerges? Why do all the, uh, the CEOs dress and talk and act a certain way? Why do all the gang members talk and act a certain way? That's so similar. Why, why do all the feminists talk and act in such a similar way? Because people's behaviors, everybody's got a spot where they can fit into. And it's uh, basically the case that their consciousness, their choices, their personality structure is not being shaped by free will, but is one that they will adopt within and find themselves falling into. So, I, I have to um, tell you, you know, I, I, if I had to put a visual, a 30-second visual on what we're talking about, I don't know if you ever watched the movie Midnight Express, but I remember yep. clearly, remember that part when the, the uh, star of the movie sent to a, a part of the person that, that had all the crazies. And, you know, all the, the, the mentally unstable were walking around in a circle you know, one way, and he was walking with them. But then he realized, wait a second, I'm not crazy. So he started walking against them, and everybody tried to change him to go back to the fray. Isn't this exactly what's happened here? And also, let me just pick on Alex Jones for a second. I think of Alex Jones, and I used to listen to him a lot, but I felt like a hamster in a treadmill. Yes, there's <laughs> there's somebody out there, what Zionists or reptilians or aliens, whatever. But he was always questioning, questioning, but never getting to the nitty gritty of all. And I don't subscribe to 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 Lenin's philosophies yet, but let me just say this: I use one of his quotes a lot. The best way to control the opposition is to lead it ourselves. You may remember William Cooper. Yeah, he was the mm -hmm. biggest threat to the government. Even Bill Clinton wrote a memo to the FBI saying he's the biggest threat on radio. What happened to him? 
November 2011, yeah. he was killed. All of a sudden, somebody yeah, amazing. Somebody took that void. Somebody filled that void. And I think it was Alex yep. Jones. What do you say about oh, that? Oh, yeah. Well, there's just, I, I was on Alex's show years ago, and uh, I, I fell for a lot of that. And uh, later when I, I, I didn't want to believe that there could be something questionable about him. But finally, when I was sort of doing a telescreen job on my own <laughs> consciousness and the conspiratorial, I mean, we can't, you know, just be blind followers, whether it's of the mass media or the conspiratorial media. But yeah, that, I mean, when you watch Alex, I mean, he's he's on all the mass media constantly, going crazy on Piers Gibbons or Morgan or whatever that guy's name is on CNN. Um, you know, he's always invite, invited on those shows. You listen to his info, and he's not talking about, hey, let's find out who the top of the pyramid is. It is a bunch of reptiles or aliens or Zionists or Catholic priests or you know, hoop bankers or what is it? No, he, he's talking about, oh, look at what these cops did. There's more police brutality, and there's more. I mean, isn't that just what... Uh, uh, forgive my politically incorrect statements, but isn't that just what the lower classes always say? You know, they complain about police brutality and how everything's so unfair. And Alex Jones will talk about uh, a lot of real surfacey issues such as that and uh, get all his information from the mass media. And it just, I don't get why uh, people like myself for a long time and uh, others will not see that this is just basically the same information as the mass media, except with a couple different twists, like, you know, a 9-11 might have been an inside job or something. But then Alex, I don't, even that's messed up. He'll, he'll always talk about Building 7, which is fine, but I thought, I've always thought the Pentagon is the smoking gun for uh, 9-11, not, not Building 7. You can, somebody could easily come along and say, oh, the building just fell and it just looked like a controlled demolition, blah, blah, blah. There, there that argument of Building 7 being the smoking gun is defeated right there. You need to have a smoking gun that there's a, that something was up on 9-11. And if something's up on 9-11, our entire worldview of everything changes from that point forward. Everything we thought was a lie because the information system was in on it. The political system was in on it. The education system will not call it out and so forth. So everything in those institutions and others has to be questioned. So, um, but the point is, is that uh, it's, you know, if you, the Pentagon is what I always thought was uh, something that, if you analyze that carefully, that is, there's no way around that as being uh, really, uh, well, use, let's use a strong word, a sort of proof that uh, that event was nothing what people thought. And it's good to go back to that rudimentary event. I think conspiracy theories sometimes are maybe kind of, yeah, we talked about that, and now let's talk about the more exciting stuff about, you know, alien invasion or, or whatever, Project Bluebeam or whatever. But really, you got to stick with 9-11 because that's the one that's uh, so immediate and that was so visible for the world. And that's the one that has so much evidence. It was almost done as if whoever fabricated that event, wanted, it was so sloppy, it's almost as if they wanted it to create a conspiracy culture, which is exactly what it did. I mean, we get those images from the mass media of the Pentagon and Building 7 and uh, the towers, the two big towers falling down and blah, blah, blah. You know, Osama bin, all these crazy Osama bin Laden stories that we've gotten about him thrown over, off the boat afterwards you know, a couple man. years ago. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the cave guys. And, uh, you know, that's it. so the conspiracy culture was created by mass media, and we have to keep sight of that. It's almost like we have a purpose to exist, and like you just said, let's control the opposition. Well, is that uh, what is going on a little bit by just our very existence? Because 9-11 made me a conspiracy theorist. I was into it a little bit before that, but then it really became a big preoccupation of mine. Well, that's what they did um, for me, Jeff, that I remember be before 9-11 – I think I was one of those zombified drones that was repeating everything that the media was saying. But one of my relatives 
who works in the airline industry, sent me a presentation and explaining how a plane, it was impossible to have crashed at the Pentagon. And my first reaction was the reaction you get from a lot of people when you tell them, by the way, let's debate Al-Qaeda. I don't think Al-Qaeda exists. And you get a violent reaction. That's the reaction yep. I gave them. But in silence, I started looking into it. And that led me to many other things. That led me to Hitler, Hitler's Rackstack fire, 9-11, mm-hmm. you know, the Enabling Act, the Patriot Act. And I started thinking, oh, my goodness, we're being duped all along. So that, to me, that was my tripwire event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's go back to something I said a second ago. If you have 9-11, if 9-11 really is some sort of a fabricated event, which you have to, let's forget what we, oh, I hope it's not, or or whatever. You have to, you have to use logic and empirical evidence. Well, the only empirical evidence really isn't empirical. It's just pictures of video screens from the mass media that we've gotten, all those images. If 9-11 is not just a random spontaneous event that was unplanned, uh, it was just a bunch of cave guys, and there was some larger force. And the mass, they, it's clear that they have their hands in the mass media because the mass media never has called out all these issues. And they'll they'll bring up some of them, like Bill O'Reilly will show a picture of the Pentagon after the the roof collapsed twenty minutes in, and he'll say, "I can't believe any conspiracy theorists think that that there was uh, you know not a lot of damage done at the Pentagon." You know, but he's showing the video. It's it's very clear he's fabricating this. Because he's not showing at, you know, before the roof collapsed when it's very clear there's no plane. It's you can uh, you can verify that very nicely with that information. So everything is just is carefully uh, planned out. But if 9/11 is really not real in the sense that we were taught, then I've just always held the position that every single piece of information we've gotten from this new world order structure we live in, which is churches, universities, mass media, law system, everywhere. All of it has to be viewed as very likely not correct. We have to scratch all of it, start over, not trust that information. And that's not meant to be some rebellious comment. It's just that's meant to be just a very practical statement. If something so shocking, which really everybody was freaked out when 9-11 happened, I remember very vividly. And if something like that could be fabricated and uh, kept a secret as to, you know, who, why, where, all the, you know, we've got some ideas of supposedly of some of the plan and stuff, but it basically wasn't something that really stayed uh, under the rug. Um, then everything has to be uh, questioned. So how? So then, what information can we trust? And there's only one information source. Well, let's say two. Uh, two information sources that can be trusted. One is pure science, and I'm not talking about that stuff we're taught in our universities, you know, in our biology classes and geology classes and stuff. That's not. That's what you call big money science. Those those are very much influenced by big financial powers. Pure science is the way philosophers laid it out, such as uh, Rene Descartes and others, where they said it. That starts from one's personal experience from their senses at this instant. And if you can't uh, analyze something with your senses right now or in some kind of short amount of time, then it's not a scientific issue. It's a theoretical issue. So that is where pure information and information we can trust. This is the same thing I tell my critical thinking students. If you want real information for your life, you have to rely on your senses uh, and not on uh, theoretical information, because theoretical information just has incredible proclivity to be erroneous. So there's hope, that is, that we can we can get, if, we, if it's really the case that uh, we have to, to question all of this information we've been programmed with and spoon-fed with uh, f- uh, throughout our lives, back from, you know, way back when we were awfully small, uh, maybe even in the womb, then uh, that's where we have to look to. That's what... Uh, 
that's why science is uh, is something that's had some success because it's roughly based in this idea that empirical observation is the strongest bit of information for analyzing the world. Of course, we all know it's been incredibly corrupted by financial power and and, and money and government and, and the National Science Foundation and so forth. But in general, its structure is uh, is intact, and that's why science, pure science, is. Uh, so suitable. The other information source I would call something that academia will not discuss, not that that matters, which is called mystical information. This seems to be the highest form of information. There's that saying that Einstein had. What is it? Um, I think he said, uh, cosmic religious feeling is the source of all um, all scientific, anal- scientific analysis or something. That may be off a couple words at the end of there, but there's a, the famous, you know, you see it on posters and so forth, that saying that Einstein had. You have to sit back and say, whoa, wait a minute. You've got what everybody refers to as the most unbelievable science that ever lived, which is a debatable thing in itself, but let's leave that aside for a minute. That person is telling us not empirical information is the best information, but cosmic religious feeling. He's referring to mysticism. Okay, you know, just like the same mysticism that Buddha experienced under the Bodhi tree or St. Paul on the road to Damascus when he saw the light of the Creator and fell down and his whole life changed and so forth. These are mystical experiences, and they're actually, I mean, this is an issue that's not really one that a lot of people don't want to discuss much, but science is, I mean, the purest form, such as uh, the uh, experimental discoveries in quantum physics and a lot of other things, are completely in line with the world religions uh, in their mystic findings. Because the world religions are roughly all in line with each other. For example, Buddhism is about this, in general, you know, all these... these um, uh, different uh, categories of Buddhism throughout the Far East and now over here in North America, they in general hold that uh, what reality is is a uh, some sort of uh, omnipresent light that is composed of ecstasy and uh, can interact with your thoughts. Then you go ask the Christian and say, "Hey, what? <clears throat> excuse me, what does your Bible say God is?" And they'll say, "Oh, it's some sort of omnipresent light that's." Um, that's uh, filled with love and joy, or that is pure love and joy, and can interact with thoughts. It's the same thing. They're talking about, you know. So the point is, is that you talk to the shamans or Hindus, and so forth, and you break the religions down to their rudiments, and they're talking about a mystical field of some sort, which is in complete alignment with the mystical, or sorry, the uh, quantum field that uh, scientists have been discovering for the last 120 years. And uh, there's a big lesson there, which uh, is still, this is just really resisted, not only in academia, but in uh, these so-called educational TV channels, history channel, which I have a whole chapter on those in the telescreen book. Um, And these are, uh, this information is just sort of not let out there. Remember how I said everybody's so streamlined? I mean, you can go to the book, the bookstore, and find books on, uh, you know, the uh, the mystical field that I just referred to. Uh, but as far as in the mass media, including uh, the media of the college education systems, that information is not there. So when I said referred a little while ago to how everybody's so streamlined, it's very rare to find someone who's living their life in accord to a some sort of God field or mystical energy field that's everywhere that can give us a spiritual. Uh, joy, enlightenment, satisfaction, wisdom, or whatever. And, and so we've got other theories of religion, which are usually very uh, sort of downstream of the core teachings of the world's religions. So the point is, is there's another way that people are streamlined. I mean, yeah, sure, we all know an exception. Yeah, my brother Billy, he went to the Buddhist monastery for five years and blah, blah, blah. Sure, we all know ex- exceptions. But in general, those people are not influencing uh, peop- uh, you know, the rest of society's thoughts and feelings and so forth, rather the telescreen apparatus and superstructure is. And uh, so we have everybody's uh, religious views and spiritual views. The, the 
the spiritual information, which is so important to everybody, is right there. The, the most prestigious and impressive science, quantum physics, is discovering it, has been for the last hundred and some years, learning all about it. The world's religions have been talking about it for thousands of years. But it's more or less information that's kept out of the telescreen uh, information super systems, from what, to, to my knowledge. You know, there may be some pockets here and there where it's discussed casually and erroneously or something. So and the point is, is the most important information, which is spiritual information, is uh, not part of the telescreen system. So anyway, that's just another uh, issue among many I'm bringing up here that's just uh, so tragic about uh, telescreen life that we're all, every single one of us is caught in. And any listeners out there who are thinking, oh, that's not me, I've deprogrammed, I'm out of that system, you got to lose that attitude. That is, you are incorrect about that. This system is incredibly intricate, complex, detailed. There are so many facets to it. I was just reading a book, this incredible book, somebody mailed this to me called The Business of Baby. Never heard of it. Um, it just shows up in my mailbox. Whoever mailed it to me, if you're listening, thank you. I read the whole thing. It was incredible. And there were so many points in there that <clears throat> that I've just I've been so interested in all you know the the maternity ward and all these crazy things this new world order system does to kill them, you know the vaccines you know a couple hours after birth the hep, you know hepatitis B all this crazy stuff going on that nobody questions everybody just goes along with. But the issue is is that uh, so this book brings up all kinds of points I never thought of and some that were affecting me here in my life in this new world order system that I was not even aware of. And so I mean and, the, and I've been studying this stuff for a long time and I. I've really tried to get on top of things and try to free my life from this system and try to be an autonomous person, living from a spiritual source rather than a uh, you know telescreen nation uh, source. And uh, there was still a whole bunch of points I didn't understand. So if you, if you sit back and relax and think I'm roughly deprogrammed, I don't think that's correct. I think that uh, the you have the ways that this system is constructed to program people is are extraordinary, and we're almost um, in a situation where our consciousnesses are sort of pressured to not question, to go along with it. I mean, what a what a nerdy person that doesn't go along, you know, doesn't have their iPhone or doesn't have their this and that or whatever. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, think of yourself as a, you know, a, a seventh grade boy or something. There's just so much pressure to fit into the cool group. You're not even thinking about anything about being a free person or if there's oppressive powers out there that are, you know, taking over one's uh, thought or, you know, implanting one's thoughts with uh, thoughts that shouldn't be there and so forth. No, that's the last, I mean, what a person does is just finds themselves in this new world order super system and man, it's, you're in there and it's, you're basically trapped. Well, you're part, <laughs> how much you're, you can do. You're part of the matrix. And, and, and you know, yeah. uh, you're speaking of Buddha and my favorite Buddha quote, and you just have to read it again. For, for people to understand why it is that I never use the word believe. I either know or I don't. Let me just read this. And you know, you probably know this quote. Do not believe in anything simply because you have heard it. Do not believe in anything simply because it is spoken and rumored by many. Do not believe in anything simply because it is found written in your religious books. Do not believe in anything merely on the authority of your teachers and elders. Do not believe in traditions because they have been handed down for many generations. But after observation and analysis, when you find that anything agrees with reason and is conducive to the good and benefit of one and all, then accept it and live up to it. That's my philosophy, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the uh, Buddha's got, if you read his book, the Dhammapada, there's just so much gold in that thing. And uh, these, these uh, it's just, here's another thing <clears throat> that's got me uh, just puzzled through the years is the world's religions have a lot of them are very uh 
hard to figure out. You know, even in Buddhism, there's a lot of stuff that just seems to conflict. Christianity's got a lot of famous examples in the Bible. You know, you got the God of peace in the Gospel of Luke, and then that same God, supposedly the same God, in the Old Testament saying, go, you know, kill all the Indians or, or Canaanites or whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, and then there's all the weird passages in the Old Testament about how God was using evil spirits to spread plagues on the people. You know, there is some strange stuff. But in general, if you take the take the four Gospels, you take the Buddha's book Dhammapada, you take um, the Upanishads from India, a lot of the writings. These things are really very dangerous to the uh, New World Order system. But the point is, is that the average person does not have a fresh mind and sit down and read these things and say, "Oh, okay, I'm going to really." grasp this stuff. No, what we go to a church, for example, and we get someone's interpretation of it, which is usually enormously watered down. A sermon that's meant to just try to appeal to as many people rather than hit the details as hard as possible, because that, that church that did that is not going to have many uh, people in the congregation every Sunday. You know, so even the world's religions, there's the, a tool with, for deprogramming is right there. I and mean, not only can it deprogram, but it can also deliver someone the highest, if you followed some of the maps and tactics in some of these world religions, especially like Hinduism and Buddhism, but also a bit in uh, Western religions as well, you can also attain incredible ecstasy. Most people think that doesn't exist. No, there's just this normal consciousness we have called the ego consciousness. And spiritual ecstasy, well, I've never seen it, so therefore it must not exist. Just like Han Solo and Star Wars saying, you know, I've never seen it, so therefore it must not exist. That's what we call in philosophy a logical fallacy. I've never seen X, so therefore X doesn't exist. Well, you don't have the proper evidence to make the conclusion. If you haven't seen something, how can you conclude it doesn't exist? If I've never seen the backside of the moon, do I conclude it's never exist? If it ever ever seen aliens? Do I conclude they don't exist in some other solar system or something? No and no. But the average person has learned, this is what I discuss a lot in the telescreen, the average person is very used to living according to logical fallacies. I think I have a chapter later in the book, which I go through these one after the other, and I have all kinds of examples of how the mass media does this, the same tactics. And I even have quotes <laughs> of politicians saying, yeah, when I would get a question asked to me uh, by a press conference, I would always make sure that I didn't answer the question. I would make sure to answer the question that I wished was asked. And you can see this every single day. You know, these clowns in Washington, D.C. or or whatever. I know they're low-level players in the... Yeah, the They'll, they'll just they'll just somebody will ask them a question. They'll say, "Oh, I don't know about that," but hey, what about this? And they'll go on along, and then people will say, "Oh, well, thanks for your answer to the question." And I'm thinking they didn't answer it. This is a tactic, which nobody sees. And there's all these logical fallacies, which are so commonplace to us. We've all seen since we were you know two years old. Once we started getting an influx of the uh, telescreen matrix, uh, that we don't even notice that they're there. If you can have politicians lie through their teeth, say one thing one year about why we're in war, change the story the next year, and then change it again the third year, and nobody sits there and calls them on it because nobody has been trained to be a logician, an empirical thinker, a pure scientist, that is, in the uh, sense we discussed a few minutes ago. And uh, so, therefore, the whole system works. It's almost as if the system works on uh, belief. I mean, we can talk about there's this government system here and that government system there, and they control our lives. No, they don't. What controls our lives is what we believe. You can tell people all day we live in a capitalist nation. And people will say, we live in a capitalist nation. They'll go repeat it to their friends and, they're, and think they're sounding all smart by saying that. But if you say, hey, can you give me one example of how we're a capitalist nation? And people won't be able to give you a single one. They'll say, oh, I own my house. And you say, well, obviously you don't own your house. Try not paying your taxes and see if you owe it. Try not paying your mortgage. <laughs> That's right. No, don't pay the you property know, people, taxes. Yeah. 
you know, yeah, and people will say, oh, I own my DVD collection. Well, that's not really a possession. That's just something that sits on the shelf that isn't used, and it's not really a, a survival item. So the point, so I mean, we have trouble uh, just you know, finding out how we're a capitalist nation. You know, nobody can spell it out, but everybody believes it. Go ask, go right now and ask someone on the street what kind of nation will say, oh, we live in a democratic capitalist nation, and then but nobody, nobody can explain it. So it's really just not i mean i know conspiracy theorists out there are saying hey let's get there and fight let's wake up minds and i mean we all know that wow <laughs> they've really done a good job with that i mean this new world order talk and uh false flag i mean this is everybody's heard of this stuff now so that's very impressive but the point is the world hasn't really changed at all since the conspiracy theory influx was created by the mass media with 9/11 years i know it existed before that conspiracy theory but it really hit a new huge pitch after that and I mean, you still have, um, you know, NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox. Those are still the big media players where everybody's, you know, putting their attention on. People are still watching sports constantly. People, the wars are still accepted, and people go along with it just like before. So, the point is, this conspiracy theory is not really any sort of threat to whoever this is at the top of the pyramid. Conspiracy theory must be part of the uh, pyramids, the top of the pyramids plan, uh, in some sort. So we have to understand this if we really want to gain traction towards freedom and finding out who, what we really are, deprogramming our minds from this uh, telescreen matrix that we're in to find out who we really are. We have to understand things like this, that uh, we, we, have to, we have to know exactly how we are powerless and empowered. And I think the conspiracy theory movement so far, although it has done a great job, to repeat, has, the world hasn't changed. The world is just the same big old mess and, uh, that it was before. You know, when I think of, of the telescreen, uh, I always think of, of, again, the 1930s. I think of Joseph Goebbels. Uh, you know, wasn't yeah. he the main architect that merged the media with the government and created the Ministry of Propaganda? And that's exactly what's happening today. Yeah, he's got, I read that whole book about Goebbels when I wrote my two books, Corporatism and Telescreen. I got a lot of quotes in there from him, and he says a lot of weird things like, and I think I have some of these quotes in those books, saying Hitler was masterful in his speech last night. If only there was some day where we could have little little devices that would put that in front of everybody's, in everybody's home or something. You know, you think, really? He said, and then, you know, 15 years later, that's what happened, you know. So, but yeah, the, uh, I mean, we all, in conspiracy land, um, we all know that the Nazi regime is not so separate from uh, uh, the current American regime. You know, there's these stories about how George Bush's grandfather, George Bush Jr., you know, Pre George W., his Prescott. grandfather was Hitler's, uh, uh, yeah, Prescott was Hitler's banker or whatever. I mean, this is amazing info. And uh, that should be documented um, pretty easily in many ways, including, you know, Holocaust records or whatever. And somebody want to explain to me why never? I don't think I've ever seen. I've watched a lot of YouTube clips of mass media and stuff just to try to understand it. I've never seen that discussed in the mass media. Maybe it has been, and if it has, it's probably was just to think, oh, these crazy conspiracy theorists now think that George Bush's grandfather was Hitler's third and third in command or whatever. And no, there's there's no objective attempt. So there's two reasons. One of two reasons for that. Either. People in the mass media are scared and don't want to address that, which I don't think that's the reason. The real reason should be because uh, the mass media is not set up to allow that sort of information. The mass media is something that's to shape consciousness of the average New World Order citizen. And uh, certain information is omitted and certain isn't. And the mystery of the mass media 
Well, the is proof, that every, I don't mean to uh, interrupt you, but the proof, in my opinion, the fact that this is not being shared by the media, and we can talk an hour about Prescott Bush and, and his involvement with financing both sides of the, of the, of the conflict. But, uh, you know, George Bush Jr., when he went in front of the Knesset in Israel, I was thinking, what? Are you going to apologize for what your grandfather did? Nobody knows about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that's got me. I mean, why doesn't the mass media talk about the burning of the rainforest? And they used to talk about that a lot in the 80s. Now it's something that comes up if you're watching the National Geographic channel, but it only will come up as a side issue when they're talking about, ooh, spooky global warming. We had like the coolest summer ever in Michigan, Lake Michigan, what, 65 degrees? I'm going on vacation there in in, uh, in a month and a half. And the water is going to be freezing by the time we get there. You know, But everybody's people will believe global warming. And the only reason there's any kind of... Uh, uh, resurgence against global warming is because certain mass media outlets like Fox News uh, foster that. If they didn't, uh, there wouldn't be. There, uh, so it's just the average person has to sit back and think, man, I wonder, wonder which of my thoughts are true, which of my thoughts aren't true. What kind of, who am I really in the end? I mean, I, I'm made up of all these different thoughts and feelings and beliefs and preferences and desires and fears, but these have all been implanted into me. I mean, I'm not like an Indian who lives in the forest and my, you know, I've got the local mythology taught to me and the forest is my spiritual source. And I, we all call the God, you know, such and such that lives over in the waterfall there on the other side of the hill. No, we don't have, we, we've got instead a, uh, an information system, which is so abnormal for the existence of humanity in general. It's so out of sync with the way people have always lived. And it really is right now. I mean, I know a lot of conspiracy theorists don't say this, but many say, hey, they're going to clamp down on us and the New World Order is coming. It's here. It's been here. Half the things that conspiracy theorists say are coming in 20 years. We're here 20 years ago. One, I like the example of uh, water. You know, we all say, oh, someday we're going to have to pay for our water. And because, you know, people are going to buy it and we're going to have to pay it. That's coming in 20 years. We've got to fight them. And I say, really? Well, hasn't everybody bought some bottled water today? So that already happened like 20 years ago. So, I mean, that's just one example of a zillion we can give where this Brave New World system, it was probably in place thousands of years ago. I mean, you've got a – on the why in the world is Washington, D.C.? Uh, if you look at the map of Washington, D.C., it's got the, you know, the Pentagon, you know, the, the bird's eye view up from above. It's got the, uh, I think it's David Ovison's book, uh, Secret Architecture of Our Nation's Capital. It points out right in the beginning of the book how the structure of it with the Pentagon there to the left and the Oval Office down there and then the, uh, um, what's that thing called, the Washington Monument. Doubleist. That Those three together are the Egyptian hieroglyph for the for Sirius, the, the Sirius, Sirius constellation. That's right. Yeah, I mean, and then you got the pyramid on the back of the dollar. I mean, these points right here are enough to say what in the world is going on. But I guess they're just. Uh, I mean, you can have a whole show on it that's put on the Discovery Channel or the sorry, the History Channel. And uh, but I guess the, the academics won't cover this. The uh, it, people won't question. They'll think maybe there's a pocket of people out there that'll just sort of think it's a fun thing to explore for a while and. And maybe we don't really, oh, but what information does this really give us? The answer is huge information. Of all the things you get up in the back of a dollar, why is the same broken top uh, pyramid looks like that 
you know, looks like looks like an A, like you know, at the end of CIA. Why is that on the back of the dollar? Why is the architecture structured that way? The answer is because there's something huge going on. And this isn't you know mysterious, murky stuff. This is empirical stuff that we can all see with our own eyes, with a completely pure scientific perspective. Which the the natural conclusion out of this is there's it's very simple, nothing radical. The conclusion is, oh, there's something else in the political structure of the world going on that I was not previously aware of. And that what's such a what's so radical about that? There's simple empirical evidence that leads to this, but the average person in America, as we said a little while ago, is not thinking. They've not been taught to uh, think logically, to think empirically. They've been taught to believe what they're told. That's where, in the information source. That's why I was saying earlier that belief shapes uh, structure and consciousness. We can think that we're a capitalist nation, but the government structure of the nation is something different. And But nobody believes it's there, so therefore it can go undetected, nobody, since nobody's looking for it, even though there's just tremendous evidence everywhere for it, as we just pointed out. But no, it doesn't matter, because belief in it is not there. Instead, believe, people believe in something that's invisible, in other words, it doesn't exist, called capitalism, which is really a, a uh, sort of clever system of communism, as I discuss in Chapter 3 of my book, Corporatism. Well, I always say that uh, slavery was never abolished. She was uh, transforming <laughs> to the 9 to 5 matrix. But we have to take a one and only break. Exactly. But let me just say this, speaking of Joseph Goebbels, you know, he, that his quote, the the strength of good radio, which of course turned into TV, the strength of good radio programming lies in creating the right mix of entertainment, enjoyment, instruction, and politics. And also, you know, your mention of all these channels, National Geographic, you're mentioning History Channel. This are all five companies, five global corporations, and we can mention them, Walt Disney, uh, News Corp, uh, Murdoch's, uh, Viacom, and Bertelsmann, uh, based in Germany. They pretty much own print, motion picture studios, radio, TV, and the rest of it. And we'll discuss this when we come back. Doesn't this give them more power than any despot or dictatorship in history? But we'll take your answer on the, on the way back. Tell us how to buy uh, your book, the telescreen, and all the other books that you have. Oh, I think they're at ProgressivePress.com, or that's the publisher, or just at Amazon. Just go to Amazon.com, look up Corporatism or Jeffrey Grupp, and they're right there. Your website? Oh, my website's SimulationTheory.net. Uh, I don't have them for sale there at the moment. I will sometime in the future. But uh, right now, that's just sort of an educational site on what's called simulation theory, something I'm really into these days. Great. Well, folks, I'm Mel Fabregas. You're listening to Veritas, and I'm here with my special guest, Jeffrey Grupp author of The Telescreen and other great publications. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Thank you very much for listening to the first segment of this interview. We will continue with segment two with our special guest in the Veritas member section. Just go to our website, veritasradio.com, and click on the subscribe link to listen to the rest. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with segment two in the member section. Enjoy. You know, you know that you can show Yeah. 
William Henry, and you're listening to Veritas. Veritas. 